It is so, so good to be here. I spoke with the pastor last week, and uh, come to find out, the first nine people he asked to preach were not available. (laughs) And I found great encouragement that I made the top ten. I made the top ten. And so so here I am. Look, we're going to do something probably a little different today. We are going to use God's Word, so if you have a copy of God's Word, pull it out. You're going to thumb over to Romans. Uh, If you're using the... uh, Pew Bible. Um, it's on page uh, 947. If you're sitting in this section here, there is no Pew Bible because I borrowed it. Um, <clears throat> I was going to use my, I'm a, I'm a very digital kind of guy, right? And, and so I have, I don't know, 20 translations on my iPad. And so I was actually going to use my iPad this morning and I pulled it out and I walked up here and it was at 10%. I thought, this is not going to work, so I went old school, and I actually am going to thumb through. Uh, I was going to use one of Daniel's Bibles, but all the pages were stuck together from cannoli, I think, so um, I ended up having to use this. You know, here's the, here's the interesting thing. I love a good story. How many of you love, how many of you love a good story? Any, let me see a show of hands. I, I love a good story, and as an author and, and just finishing up my second book, uh, I, I'm, I'm really addicted to a good story. I really, I really am. <clears throat> and, when I, and when I write, I tend to write in, uh, I tend to write fiction, I write in parable form uh, in order to tell stories and to basically impart leadership lessons through a good story. And so I'm just really, really addicted to a good story. And this year, I set a goal for myself to read through the Bible, just like we do a, a lot of times. But I, I, took a different, I took a different path. There's actually a, a, a book out called The Story. And it is, uh, it, it's based on the NIV translation, and it is a, a compilation of all of the great stories in the Bible from table of contents to maps, basically. I mean, it covers everything. And it's this, uh, the authors have done this marvelous job of just telling God's story in, in what I would just call novel form. So there's no chapters, there's no verses, it's just this continuous story. And I have, I, I, I cannot even tell you how many times I've read through God's Word, but I frequently get caught up in chapter and verse. I don't know about anybody else. I sometimes get caught up in chapter and verse. Okay, I've got to read this many verses. I've got to get to this chapter break or whatever the case may be. And I have found myself, and I'm just being very transparent with you, I have found myself sometimes missing the point. And so I decided to, uh, you know, I decided to go through it this year with the story, the book, the story, and I got to tell you, I can't put it down. I absolutely can't put it down. And, you know, they're all the stories that I've read all my life. But when you take the chapters and the verses out of it and you just read the power of what God has done, I'm absolutely blown away. I'm addicted to a good story. I'm absolutely addicted to a good story. Here's what I've discovered as I'm going through this, and in a very short amount of time, normally it takes me a year to read through the Bible, right? In a matter of about six weeks, I'm almost done. I can't put it down. Same stories I've read for 40 years, and, and, and I can't put it down. And what I've been discovering as I've gone through Scripture this time is that lives are transformed right before my eyes. A young shepherd becomes a king, becomes a warrior. 
and falls and gets back up. I'm just amazed at the transformation in life. Every life in this room and, and in the satellite uh, locations, every life has a story. That's what I'm learning. Every single life has a story. And what's really just blowing my mind these days is this. Every story's worth telling. Every story is worth telling. And frequently, we tend not to tell our stories for certain reasons. But our life is a life that is on a journey, and that journey leads to transformation. Now, not all transformation is awesome. Can we, can, can we agree upon that? There has been some leaders in history that have transformed their life into pure evil. We can name modern day, we can name those, we can go back in history, we can name those. Not all transformation is for the good. But all life transforms in some way. And in 19, well, in the 90s, which I, I'm going to start to date myself a little bit here, in the 90s, and I've spent the bulk of my career really focused on helping people unlock their potential in life. As a leadership coach or as a consultant, uh, as a speaker, my whole life has been about developing people. And in the 90s, I, I was struggling with how do I identify when someone's actually making progress? How do you identify when there's truly transformation in life? And so in the 90s, I, I created this model that is still used today around the globe to help leaders understand how they're transforming. Can you truly see evidence of transformation in your life? And I really struggled with identifying that, so I created this model. Now, in full transparency, you know, Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun, and I borrowed the model from Scripture, basically. And so I went in and I said, okay, what does it look like in Scripture when you do this? Now, everybody, go to Romans 12. I want to I I show you something. I promised the pastor I'd actually use the Bible today. Romans 12, go to Romans 12, just find, just find verse 1. We can kind of get a running head start up to this verse that I want, to, I want to unpack a little bit today. So Paul's writing this to the Romans. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but do what? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So there it is. We are called to be transformed. Okay, so there's a, there's a, there's a mandate to transform our lives by the renewing of our mind. So let's get a couple of things out of, the, out of the way real quick here. If you're a note taker, you're going to want to jot these down. If you're a doodler, you're just going to want to doodle. I don't care, right? Draw little happy faces. But we all know there's basic things that we do on a regular basis to renew our mind, okay? These are basics. You know these. This is just review just to kind of get your brain in the right direction. The first way that we renew our mind on a daily basis is through God's Word. Can we all say amen? Amen, right? So through God's Word. Now, does that mean only through God's Word on Sunday, yes or no? 
No, it's through God's Word on a regular basis. That's one way that we renew our mind. Another way is through prayer. We're actually talking with God on a regular basis. We renew our mind through prayer. Are we good so far? So, so far, this is the basics 101, right? And then finally, and this one is a little tricky for some people, we renew our mind, believe it or not, by being with other believers, We renew our mind by being with other believers. Guess what? That's what we do on Sundays, but it's not just reserved for Sundays. And we renew our mind, we find comfort, we find encouragement by being with other believers. And, don't take my word for it, dig into Acts, go to 2, chapter 2, go to 42, and just read right there. They were gathered together on a regular basis doing all of these things. Okay? So, basics out of the way. This is how we renew our mind, and this is how we go about transformation. Here's my question, though, and this is the thing I've always struggled with is, how do we see evidence of transformation? How can I identify when there's truly evidence of a life transformed? And that's where this model came into play. So there's four things in this model that lead to showing transformation. Now, here's what, here's, what here's what I want you to do. Daniel and I were, by the way, we were at the bookstore last night. As a author, book comes out May the 3rd, which I could not be more proud of this guy. Book comes out on May 3rd. It's a fabulous book. Um, and so what do two authors do? When I got to town last night, uh, we landed. He said, can you come pick me up? I said, yeah, we did a Chick-fil-A run, Right? So we go to Chick-fil-A, we're kind of geeking out uh, with, with some Chick-fil-A, and, and then we start talking, talking about books and about stories. And I said, uh, where's the closest Barnes & Noble? I just got to go hang out at Barnes & Noble. He said, oh, it's closed down. I said, I'm going to Google it. This is Gainesville. Come on, there's got to be a Barnes & Noble. And I Googled it, and it popped up. There's supposed to be a Chick-fil-A right across the street from where ultimately we were sitting. He's going, no, it's not there. I said, dude, it's on Google. It's got to be true. So he was very kind and very patient, right? We drive across the street, and he says, uh, yeah, it's a Kirkland's. Okay, so there's got to be a bookstore in this town. It's a college. There's, there's a university town. There's, there's great knowledge in this town. There's got to be, yeah, we have a books a million over by the Hobby Lobby. And so we drive over there, and sure enough, we walk in, and it's like, whoa, you know, there's all these books. And so we go over, and... and I said, okay, let's find out where your book is going to rest in this store. And so we're going over, and I said, I can't even figure out their Dewey Decimal System. And he looked at me, and he said, dude, you are old. (laughs) And when I finally realized how old he is today, I realized, man, you are young. (laughs) Holy cow. And so we're, we're scanning all of the books, and he's kind of in the Christian living section. We're scanning all the books, and all of a sudden, he pulls out a book, and the title of the book was Simplifying Your Life. I thought, this is awesome. And it said, the 10 things you need to do. And I'm like, what? I want simple and you're giving me 10 things? How is that simple? Well, look, here's the thing. I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm holding that book and I'm looking. I'm going, ooh, I'm a little convicted here because I'm getting ready to give them four things. And I want to keep it simple. So here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to give you four things in this model on what transformation looks like. I just need you to think about one. As we go through this, your takeaway today is this simple. What's the one thing you need to do today based off what I'm getting ready to talk to you about? Are we good? 
So if you're a jotter, if you're a noter, if you're a note taker, if you're a doer, whatever, here they are. The first thing to identify when there's transformation in your life, the very first place that you go is information. There's information. Very first word, information. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean by that is on a constant and everyday basis, we are taking in information in our life at a rate currently exponentially greater than any generation has ever seen before. Some recent survey, some recent research just come out, says that there is currently somewhere in the neighborhood of 7 billion people on the planet. Now, just think about that. That's a B billion. 7 billion people on the planet. And I'm pretty sure every one of them was at the airport last night on spring break trying to get to Gainesville. It's crazy. 7 billion people. Here's the, here's the absolutely staggering part of that statistic. It's this. 3 billion of that 7 billion are connected to the internet and to social media. Think about that for one minute. 3 billion people have the opportunity to realize Barnes & Noble is no longer in Gainesville. <laughs> Three billion people. The rate at which we're able to transfer information is exponentially greater than any generation has seen up to this point. We are constantly and every day bombarded with information. Now, the challenge is when we take in information Often we think we have been transformed only because we have received information. And quite frankly, it, it, it's, it's far short of transformation. Information is something that comes in, but from there, the next step is application. And that's your next word, application. Because when we receive information, we must make a choice as to what to do with it. There's always some kind of application. Now, here's the thing that you need to keep in mind. Choosing to do nothing is still doing something. Mark Batterson, in his book, uh, In a Pit with a Line on a Snowy Day, which I highly recommend, he is quoted as saying, choosing to do nothing is still making a choice. And every day we receive information, we process that information, and we decide that information is worthy, I will do something with it, or that information is not worthy, and I choose not to do anything with it, and we apply something. And there's always an application in life. Now, I want you to just understand something right here, application. We're always doing something. We're making choices every single day. The choice isn't the transformation. The choice is a step in the process. But the takeaway that you need to understand is, even if you choose to do nothing, you're still making a choice to do something. Application. And the third step in the process and in the model, the third step is once there's an application, then there is always an experience. There's always an experience. Something happens. Good, bad, or indifferent. There's always an experience of some kind. That happens to us. Now, what's interesting is we have thought, and I thought, all the way up until the 90s, that transformation happened at the experience. But I realize that it's falling short. Transformation doesn't happen at the experience. It happens at what happens next. But if you think about it, information, application, experience, sometimes those things happen just like that, instantaneously. 
For instance, I don't know the answer. I meant to ask you, Daniel, last night. I meant to ask you this question. Are there red light cameras in this town? You don't know what a red light camera is? Consider yourself blessed. In the city of Dallas and the surrounding suburbs, we have uh, what, we, uh, are, what are simply called red light cameras, which means there's cameras set at certain intersections in the city, and should you decide to ease through a light that's yellowish, they take a picture of your car, and they send you an invoice. $75. One camera in Dallas, it's in the Arlington area, suburb of Dallas, one camera in the Arlington area generates for the city $7.1 million a year in red light violations. Well, there was an upcry in the city. They said, we have to take this down. It's causing accidents. It's causing all this. And people went to the city council, and the city council said, uh, we're sorry, it makes too much money. And so the red light camera remains, and they're scattered throughout the whole city, and I know this because I have received an invoice from one of the suburbs. (laughs) The invoice came to the house. I looked at my wife, and I immediately said, this must be yours. (laughs) Wrong. Right? I was playing golf early one morning, and I'm coming back. And to make matters worse, they sent a video Really? A video? Because my, my recollection of the events did not match the video. But what I noticed was this. I'm pulling up to this intersection, and immediately I'm giving information. A light it is of a color. I immediately make an application, and I make a choice. And my choice is, I'm turning right... So therefore, if it's yellowish going to red, I'm turning right on red. My choice was I failed to remember that you must technically stop before you turn right on red. Right? And so therefore, I had an experience. It was a $75 experience. Now, this all leads to transformation. And sometimes in life, this comes at us very, very quickly. We're given information, we have to choose what to do with it, and then there's some kind of experience, sometimes immediate, sometimes delayed. My invoice from the city of Plano did not show up for three weeks. And then I had an experience. When I blamed my wife, that was an experience. Especially when she pulled up the video and realized where I was and what I was doing, coming back from playing golf. Transformation happens at the fourth place. There's information, there's application, there's an experience. Transformation in our lives happen at the fourth place, and the fourth place is the story. It's the story. Every single life has a story. And what I want to share with you today is that your life is a story, it's being written. And it's being written off information that you take in, off the choices that you make with that information, and off the experiences that you're having on a daily basis with that information. Your life is a story. Now, here's what I want to share with you. Sometimes the story is very deliberate. We tell it, just like I told the story of my red light. 
Other times, the story of our life is less deliberate, but it's no less impactful. And this is where I want to really challenge you today. See, as an author of, of fiction, what I do when I start to, when I, when I begin a book, is I always develop my characters, and then I develop a storyline. And the storyline is basically what takes me from start to finish. And as I'm reading the story of God's Word, I realize that there is definitely a storyline in God's Word. From table of contents to map, there's a storyline. As an author, I'm always looking at a storyline. Here's what I've discovered. Our lives, every single person in this room, every single person watching, our lives have two basic storylines that you can take. Now, you can, you can build characters around that. You can build subplots around that. You can build a lot of things around that. But basically, at the end of the day, you have two storylines that you can take. And the choice is yours. Based off information that you get, you choose which storyline you take. Here's your storyline. Storyline number one, you can live a life of judgment or you can live a life of love. Those are your two choices. As a believer, we are called to live a life of love. Jesus was questioned by the, the smartest people of the day. He, they pulled him aside. They were trying to find reason to kill him or stone him or something along that line. They pulled him aside, and the, and the legal experts of the day asked him, out of all the commandments, and they're talking not ten, they're talking the hundreds that they had piled upon God's word, out of all the commandments, which are the most important. And fortunately for me, being a small kid from South Oklahoma, Christ, in his wisdom, said two. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's it, storyline number one. Then he goes on to teach us that if we choose to judge, we will what? Be judged. It's two storylines. Two storylines. Now, let me give you a little inside tip. Here's what I've learned. We can tell in our life if we're living a storyline of judgment by when we enter a room and the first thought that enters our mind about those around us in the room. If the first thought in our mind is how they look, how they dress, how they act, how they talk, it's a high probability that our storyline is one of judgment. But if we enter a room and we enter a room full of people and we see those people as God's chosen people and we love them, we are probably living a storyline of love. You can check your transformation progress immediately by simply asking yourself the question, the next time you enter a room full of people, next time you sit down, and by the way, you're going to sit down, many of you are going to go out to lunch today, you're going to sit down in a restaurant, and you're going to have this experience, and someone's going to walk up to your table, and instantly you're going to have a thought. Is it a storyline of judgment? Oh, wow, look at their tattoos. This is going to be interesting. Or is it a storyline of love? Wow. You're working today to serve me. Thank you. How can I serve you in return? Now, I just spent uh, three years, just recently transitioned back into uh, full-time consulting. I just spent three years as the chief human resource officer for Brinker International. 
Brinker International owns Chili's uh, and Maggiano's Little Italy restaurant. And as chief people officer for that organization, I had over 60,000 team members I was responsible for on a regular basis, developing them uh, as leaders, growing them up, protecting the culture. Here's what I learned. There's a dirty little secret in the restaurant business, and I'm going to share it with you. And that dirty little secret is this. Nobody wants to work on Sundays, not because they want to be in church, because they cannot stand the people that come in a restaurant on a Sunday. You know what the belief is? Christians are the worst guests. They're rude, they're obnoxious, and they don't tip. That's the belief. Broadly held, not just in the Chili's restaurant brand, but across all sectors. Across all sectors. I actually was visiting Houston. I was visiting a general manager in Houston, and I walked in her restaurant one day, and I noticed as I was driving up to the restaurant that I passed three sizable churches, 1,000-plus in membership. And I drove up, and I'm having this conversation with this general manager, and I, and I made this comment to the general manager, wow, Sundays must be really great around here with all of the churches people would flood to your restaurant. And she looked at me, and she said, Tony, the sad truth is I can't get people to work on a Sunday because they don't want to deal with the churches. Storyline of love or storyline of judgment? Let me give you a little insight. Here's what we've learned. When people look at other people, we tend to judge their actions, their appearance, and what we see. But when we look internally and judge ourselves, we tend to judge our intent. Not what we're actually doing, but what we intend to do someday. I intend to, my intention is to love somebody tomorrow. So we tend to externalize. We tend to look at other people. We judge them based off what we see, but we tend to judge ourselves based off what we intend to do. Are we living a storyline of love or a storyline of judgment? My challenge for you today is simply this. What story are we living because whether you know it or not, when you walk in the room, your life is telling a story. Your actions, your words, Colossians teaches us, Colossians 3 and 2 teaches us everything you do to glorify God, do with your words and deeds. What story are we telling? And then finally, what's the story that you need to be verbalizing. What's the story you need to be verbalizing? In church, we call this testimony. We call this our personal testimony. And sometimes that gets a little churchy for people. And if you were sitting down with an unchurched person, you say, hey, let me share my testimony with you, they may freak out. But if you sit down with somebody who is a non-believer, somebody who had not trusted Christ in their life, and if you sit down and you're having a cup of coffee with somebody and you lean across the table and you say, can I share my life story with you? Now, that's completely different. Are we sharing the story of our life? Because if you have taken in information that Jesus is Lord, as a matter of fact, let's do this real quick. Romans 10, go there. I want to I walk you through this as we close. Romans 10. Romans 10, everybody probably knows this, and it's probably underlined. If it's not underlined in your Bible, you need to underline it. Even if it's not your Bible, underline it. It needs to be underlined. Romans 10, 9. Because this is the essence of a transformed life. This is the essence 
of everything. Romans 10, 9, it's, it's on the opposite page if you were in Romans 12 all ago, if you had the right Bible. Romans 10, 9 says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Here's information. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's information. I just gave it to you. Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, here's an application. Here's the choice. You can either believe in your heart that that is true and that God raised him from the dead, or you can choose to deny that. That's your application. The experience that you have is one of life or death. That's the experience. If you choose to accept that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, if you choose to accept that and apply that to your life, the experience that you have is eternal life. If the choice that you make is to reject that, then Scripture is very clear. The experience that you will have is eternal death, separation from God. That's where we leave. We take in information every single day. We have to make a choice to do with it. And then there's always an experience. What's the story we tell? Now, I just want to say, Nathan, it was Nathan earlier, right? That was baptized? No. Ethan. Ethan, thank you. Ethan told a story. Ethan told a story. He stood in the water. And by the way, I don't know where Asa is. Asa, if you're listening, dude, you held him down just a little long. I was counting 1,001, 1,002, 1,003. Either, either Asa knows something about Ethan that we don't know. Because when I was baptized, Dr. Dan Pruitt held me down with his big claw hand for an extra. And when I came up, I'm like, <gasps> he said, I needed to make sure it took. <laughs> Asa asked him a question. Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? And the story that he told was yes. And the water didn't do anything magical. The water was simply him expressing the story of his life. It was an experience, and he came out of that water, and he told the story to every single one of us in here. I believe. What's the story of your life? What's the one that is being told behind the scenes when you walk in the room? What's the story being told when you walk in the room? And what's the story we need to be telling verbally? You want to know how to see a transformed life? It's the story that your life tells. Let's pray. Father, we have imparted information of your word. We're in the process of applying that in some way. We're going to make a choice. And Lord, there will be an experience that is created. I pray now that your Holy Spirit falls upon this room in a very, very special way. Father, as your word says, search my heart. Begin with me, Lord. Search my heart and reveal to me the story of my life. And Father, encourage me chastise me if needed and lift me up to tell your story of love. I ask this in your son's precious and holy and mighty name.
Amen and amen. It's a time of application in our service. And you get a lot of choices at this point in time. Here's the choices that you can make. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and in a room this size, it is highly probable, you have an opportunity to make that choice. Now, in a moment, there will be pastors down front. Pastor Mike will be right here at the front. And the way that it works in this particular church, as in several churches, it can be a little freaky for some people. The way it works is this. You simply want to create an experience, not a, a horrible experience, but you want to create an experience. You just want to come down and you just want to talk to one of the pastors or one of the people down front. And you just want to say this. I heard the information. I heard that Jesus is Lord. And I want to make a choice. I want to be saved. That's it. And you can have that conversation with anyone down here. Some of you may be sitting in the chairs right now and realize the story of my life has been more of judgment than love, and you need to get that straight. You know what? Welcome to my world. I, I get this. I know this. These steps, these steps we anoint each and every Sunday as an altar. You can simply create an experience and tell a story to those around you by coming down here and kneeling at the steps. No one knows but you and God what you're talking about. But if you need to come down and just spend some time with God and just implore him to take your heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh so that you see people and you love them. You know what? That's perfectly okay. You may be looking for a church home. You may be looking for a place to renew your mind on a regular basis. You may be looking for a fellowship. Let me tell you, from experience, there's no better place in this city than right here. You'll hear God's word. You'll be prayed for. You'll be able to pray. And you'll fellowship with other like-minded believers that will lift you up. Whatever the decision, you've been given information. It's time to make a choice. What's the choice? you'll make. Amen. Let's stand together.